There's a fire in my belly Been smoldering for a while Coal's been seeping smoke Waiting for a good stoke Welcome to Don't Talk to Me Unless It's About This. We are back for our second episode with Ellie Barber, who performs as Olella. We're going to learn more about their most recent music and their soon-to-be-released music, and then talk about the second half of Michelle Zahner's memoir, Crying in H Mart. We've read from chapter 10 to the end. So Ellie, I want to start with talking about your music. And last time we talked, you mentioned that your Saturn's return really pushed you into going all in with music. And I wanted to hear more about that moment in time for you? Yeah, man, what a heavy question. But it was a huge turning point for me. Like I mentioned in the last episode, I have played music my whole life. It's always been a very important part of my being. But my priorities really shifted in the spring of 2020. And I think the pandemic brought on a lot of thought for a lot of us of what we wanted to be doing with our lives. And it was a bit of a reality check. For me, I had kind of already been leading up to this moment for, I think, probably nine months to a year of just really questioning what I was doing professionally and if it was aligned with what I wanted, where I wanted to go. And at that time, I had been, I'd been prioritizing my climate change work and playing music in bands, not seriously, but it wasn't my first priority. And I just went through, after a lot of thinking, a lot of introspection, a lot of therapy, I was already accepting that I think I actually do want to be a musician first. And it took a lot for me to get there because it required an acceptance of all of these really challenging headwinds that were going forward. Like, it's less secure to be an artist financially, professionally. Artists are seen lower on the totem pole. It's really scary to start something, believe in yourself before other people are kind of on your thigh. So I'd kind of like been building this and had just been able to say out loud in probably March of early March of 2020, like, I think I want to be a musician first. And then that the pandemic happened and I just launched this solo project and I was like wow that's a lot and but it did force me to think about what I wanted to do if I had gotten COVID and I was on my deathbed because at that point we didn't know what COVID was and we thought that it was a good chance that we might end up on a hospital bed in a lot of like questionable pain and future <laughs> future health problems and whatever. And I asked myself what I would regret if that happened. And it was just so clear that being pursuing music with my whole heart was the thing that I had not done that I've wanted to do my whole life and just didn't have the courage to do it. It was very clarifying for me and ended up, you know, I ended up using the pandemic as a time to start the business in that way, which was ended up being actually really great minus the lack of performing but yeah it was a huge shift for me and now I'm still doing both 
sides of that work, but now music is first and my other work is second. And music is, is kind of what's leading me. And I think from the outside, it doesn't even look that different. But for me personally, it changes so much about how I go about the world, how I make decisions, how I plan. And yeah, it was like gut-wrenching to go through that change, I think, as many Saturn returns are for people. If people don't know, I didn't know what a Saturn's return was until, I don't know, a year or two ago. Will you explain what that is? <laughs> yeah, I don't know too much about it. There's astrologists I'm sure could give way more detail. But the idea is that like we, Saturn is, I think, in the same place as where it was when we were born around the age 30. There's all these theories about why we go through this big shift around 30, but the astrologists look to Saturn as and its placement in the sky is that reason. And, but it is a common thing for a lot of people between the ages of like 28 and 32 or whatever to go through a really huge shift and like internal shift. And I've seen that with a lot of friends of mine as well. And at this time I was, it was right before my 30th birthday, like my, I turned 30 on May 31st, 2020. And it was like that week that I was like, okay, I'm going to be a musician, like capital M. <laughs> so I don't know if it was like the 30th birthday or what, but yeah, it's this like huge shift for a lot of people. What were the reactions of people in your life to this announcement? Yeah. Um, the hardest one felt like to my parents. I had to sit my parents down individually. They're divorced and it was over the phone, but I came out to them with this information and I prepped for it and I felt really nervous. And they were, they both were much less reactionary than I thought they would be. And my mom's response even was like, you already are a musician. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> That's such an interesting response. Yes. And I think it made me realize that this idea of being a musician, like to me, it was like, I want to be a full-time musician one day. Like I want to make enough money to support myself as a full-time musician. And how you get there is what I had already been doing, which is like performing in bands and it takes a certain amount of time to get to the point when you actually can go full-time financially. And, but it was so funny to hear my mom be like, what do you say? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> Realizing I mean, that people it. already see you that way. Yes. Yeah. It was like other people saw it, but I didn't, I didn't consider myself in the club because I personally internally didn't feel dedicated to it. I think. Yeah, like you said, it was really an internal shift more than externally. Well, and I'm sure there were some externally. Did you shift your work priorities, like downgrade the climate change work, leave more time for music? Yeah, it was very much. I basically spent the last couple of years like working on starting this business and investing in that and like in my time and my resources. And now I'm finally at a point where I feel like I'm caught up and so I can pick both up again. but. Yeah, it was very much about like my own organization mm. and externally. 
What have you been creating most recently? I have been working on a few things. I've been working on a lot of collaborations, which is really always a lovely thing. As a cellist, you get pulled into a lot of other people's projects. So I love that. And then I also, my biggest endeavor is that I'm going to start recording an album soon. Yay! (laughs) Very exciting. I'm going to start recording it probably in August or September. And it's a, it's always a very long um, endeavor. Like you never, I never want to put a time on it because then you know that that timeline will get blown up by something, but I'm aiming to have it out by next spring. So that would, that would be lovely. But I'm very excited about it. It's going to have a lot of, I have some new material that not many people have heard. I've also picked up the tenor guitar in the last year, and so it'll have some songs on that. And so do you have any songs written for the album or right now it's ideas and you're waiting for that kind of August, September timeline to really go into them? I have probably like five or six songs that I I feel very good about that I'm excited to have on there. And I'm right now I'm going through a period of intentional songwriting where I'm working on writing a handful of songs with the idea of having another like four of those probably will end up on the album so going off that thing we were talking about last time of creating a lot and picking the best I'm also doing that right now which is a fun creative project and pushes me I'm trying to like push my boundaries a little bit of, of what I've been doing and it's been a really fun and sometimes intimidating experience (laughs) push your boundaries in what way i have a love for a little bit more alternative and electronic music and i think probably the electronic component maybe will come in further down the road in my in my career but i have been kind of trying to add a little bit more of that edge if that makes sense. So like using more effect on my vocals or something adds more of an alternative sound. And it's another one of those things that like feels like a big deal to me, but probably other people are like, oh yeah, whatever. But it's kind of like <laughs> identity shift as someone who grew up playing classical and, and like folk music and feels defined by that sort of when you start yeah. to, like you're pushing your identity a little bit. I don't, you probably don't know this about me, but I am obsessed with Taylor Swift and I basically bring her up on every episode. Somehow it's not even intentional that I'll be like, this part of this book reminded me of this Taylor Swift song. And I feel like what you're (laughs) describing is a very Taylor Swift moment of her Uh going through all her genre shifts. And Uh as a fan, I freaking love it. I have a Taylor Swift song for every mood because all the genres are out there. So I think it's awesome to allow yourself to expand into all the different areas yeah that's right because she did she was like a country gal and then she yeah really come into her own in such a cool way yeah I think it's scary for an artist because once you build a certain audience based on a certain sound you're worried that they won't follow you if you go somewhere else and but I do think if you do create the same sound over and over again people get a little bored your true fans will be like yes another album that sounds exactly the same (laughs) (laughs) but like as an artist that's kind of boring like you always want to be pushing a little bit it's nice to know 
that you enjoy all of Taylor Swift. All of it. And it is a very interesting push-pull of, like you said, not getting bored and also kind of having your classic sound, but letting it evolve. And I've definitely had experiences with listening to artists change their songs. And at first I'm like, oh, I had this with um, Lord's most recent album. I was, I loved her set. I loved all her music, but I loved the second album and I was expecting it to sound like that. And the first time I listened to the latest album, I was like, oh, it's more of a downbeat kind of mellow songs. I wasn't expecting that. And then I kept listening and now I love it in this own, its own new way. Maybe that's almost a shift you're going through too of at first it's scary and then you get into it. Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, not having expectations is such a good way to to think about it is like every piece of art is its own, can, can stand alone by itself. And if we treat it without expectation in comparison to a past album or something that can be really powerful and you can listen with new ears. Definitely. I wanted to hear you tell the story of picking one song and tell the story from start to finish, how it all came together. Would you like a specific song or would you just like enjoy? Yes. Will you pick a specific song, either one that's already out or one that is yet to be released? I think a really cool one to talk about in context of this book, Crying in H Mart, is a song that I wrote in this this past October. And I had I've been trying to write this song for 10 years, basically. It was about an aunt that passed away when I was younger when I was 11 and she was kind of a second mother to us, like really helped bring my sister and I up. So very close to my heart. And she was my first piano teacher. She was the person that really nurtured my musicality. And so she passed away when I was 11 and I've been trying to write a song for her because she means so much to me. And it's like, really part of the reason why I'm doing what I am doing in part also because when she passed away she she was a doctor for she's a hand surgeon for musicians wow restored people's hands so that they could play their instruments and when she passed she left us some finances to pursue the thing that we wanted to pursue that we felt was maybe not a like quote unquote good career move or like it was like experience life and for me that's what allowed me to start playing in bands was like it didn't feel like a good career move per se at that time but I was like I have this extra bit that my aunt told me I need to use for the thing that I love and it was music and she got me into music and now I'm still doing it. And so I just feel so grateful. And she really feels like kind of a, a companion with me through this whole process. So anyways, so we witnessed her dying from cancer slowly, of stomach cancer. And that was my first experience with death. It was like very traumatic for the whole family. And so this book was so cool to read someone else's perspective of as a musician witnessing someone dying of cancer that was so close to you and it wasn't my true mother so I think that's its own behemoth but I it was so cool to learn that 
the album that really launched Michelle's career was the one, the outpouring about her, about her mother, because I finally was able to write this song about my aunt in October. And it was truly an outpouring of emotion. It was like, sometimes songs are more methodical and you're like, okay, I need to write a song this week. And you put down the, whatever the chord progression and you come up with words. But this was like, I just moved into a new apartment that was by myself, which I've never lived in an apartment by myself before. And I just for three days entered this like crazy state of pouring out emotions and words. And I would sleep with my phone by my bed. It was actually on my bed next to my pillow because I kept waking up and like editing lyrics on my phone. And I usually like words are the last thing that comes to me with songwriting. I think I'm a musician first and a poet second. But this time it was like the words just like vomited and they just kept coming. And for three days I was in this like alternative state of reality. <laughs> and it felt so good. It was like very cathartic. I was crying a lot. There's like a lot of grieving that was going through that process. And it took me a solid probably five months to be able to perform it without crying. And because it was just like so tender. But once I did start performing it, there is yet to be a show that I perform it and someone tells me that they, like, that I don't get the feedback that somebody cried. I don't know if that was the right amount of negatives. <laughs> There's, I got the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. Like, it always makes people cry. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I cry when I'm playing it and I've just gotten to the point of, okay, this is just the way it is. It feels important to play this song. But it's so wild to me that music can be such a vessel for emotion. And I think it really shows people know when something is really heartfelt. And definitely it's like the, that's the art that, that speaks the deepest. What is the song called? It's called Tea Kettle Tea which is my aunt used to always make us what she called tea kettle tea, which was him milk tea with milk and honey. It's such a warm memory for me emotionally and physically, but yeah, it'll be on the album that's coming. I can't wait to hear it. Will you share one favorite line? Let's see. Wow. The real tearjerker line, I think. I don't know if I should give that away. I guess I will. <laughs> I think so. It, it basically, there are three verses and it, it tells the first verse talks about just like my memories of her and how lovely they were. The second talks about my experiencing her in the hospital. And the third is about like the after feelings. And the, the first few lines of the third verse are. At that time, I thought this was just the way it is with the people you love. They'd come around, you'd do fun stuff, then they'd fly off on the wings of a dove. And it was really, at that time, I just didn't understand what death was. And that was a, a line that I wrote. And I looked back at it and I was like, 
oh, wow, I feel like that explains a lot about who I am. I, <laughs> it's hard to like explain, but I am like, I am, I think I learned to let go of things quickly as a kid because I did have a lot of death in my family. And I did just think it was like, you have good times with people, but they might not be around forever. And, and I think that showed up in my, I think that line, when I wrote it, I was like, oh, that explains a lot about some of my relationship patterns or like, you know, when you like find out something about yourself yeah, in the songwriting process. Lyric really held up a mirror to you, it sounds like. And especially, you know, when thinking back to when you were 11, such a formative time of something that happened then is going to be so much more impactful than maybe if it happened when you were this age. Yeah, totally. There's like more understanding and context now. But I was just so confused at that time in my life. I was like, why do these people keep leaving? I don't understand. And it wasn't until my Saturn return, really, <laughs> like actually dealt with the feelings. Thank you for sharing that. I'm looking forward to hearing the song and all the other songs to come. We're going to hear from a couple of fans and fellow artists about what they love about Olela's music, starting with Helmer Hernandez, who played with Olela at the NPR Tiny Desk on the Road concert in Seattle. I have to say that I have always enjoyed the cello. That's been one of my favorite instruments since I was a little kid. And hearing her play it was really inspiring. I listened to the way she played it, and you could actually feel her soul through her instrument. And she added her voice to it, which just took it to another level. <laughs> Hearing her live and seeing her artistry come to life on stage, I was kind of mesmerized. My name is Carleen Calbero, and I played a show with Alela earlier this year at Connor Byrne. I love the way that Ellie's quiet confidence shines through in her music. She could literally be playing in a noisy bar room and the second you hear her cello on vocals, you're completely captivated. Hey, my name's Doug Indrick, and I had the honor of recording the audio for Olella's 2022 NPR Tiny Desk Concert video. What I really like about her music is that there's so much subtlety and lyricism in both her cello playing and her singing. And the way that she sings with her instrument is so beautiful. They become one instrument. I feel like already a lot of the things you've talked about really relate to the second half of this book so much. The things that Michelle wrote about and things that I learned about her music too. 
I appreciate she has shared a lot about her, what her songs are about. And I really like that um, because we talked about this last time, this like fierce curiosity to learn about art we love and how some creators don't like to share that. And I can respect it even if I want to know more, but I appreciate that she's very giving. I found, you know, detailed paragraphs on like every song she's written basically like, this is what this song is about. And mm. one of the things that came up a, a lot was she would talk about how she had written a song years ago and took a piece of it and then turned it into another song. Or I'd written a song with a band and then didn't fully like the way it was produced and so shifted it. And I really liked her honesty about this form of recycling art and knowing that whatever you create, those songs may not end up in the next album, but way down the line, they might still become something. Yeah, it's so real. It's like a another reason why I really love the voice memo app on episodes. Because <laughs> I do have like bajillions of little voice memo ideas that sometimes I'll come back to and be like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Like, yeah, let's switch it up so that it has a fresher sound. I think that's, it's such a good practice for artists too, to like separate yourself a little bit from it and just be able to massage it into something new that feels more genuine ultimately that's what you're trying to find and if you left it it probably means that it didn't quite feel right mm -hmm. so like giving it time is helpful going more into the book i want to talk about the word unapologetic which i almost hate to say like cringe saying it because it's used so much but i feel like it was the perfect word i could think of to describe michelle's writing she never makes an excuse for she shares a lot of painful, ugly thoughts and things that she said, these fights with her dad, wishing that her dad was the one dying instead. She never makes an excuse of like, even though I knew that wasn't true or like, she always just tells what happened in the present moment without any like looking back perspective. Yeah. And she does the same thing with, there's a lot of privilege that is kind of unspoken of in the book of she was able to not work for a very long period of time. She was able to travel and, you know, she would kind of throw in things like, you know, the details about the wedding. Clear that there was finances needed to do that or my aunt treated us to this nice hotel. And I really appreciated that she never put in these caveats. Of, and I felt so lucky for that. And, you know, I'm sure she did, but like that wasn't the point. Yeah. And yeah. I know I would have such a hard time like wanting to justify and apologize for everything about myself if I yeah, was writing yeah. a memoir. Okay. And I'm wondering what you thought about this part of the writing and what unapologetic means to you. Gosh, I totally agree. I think it was really beautifully written because of, in part, like how unapologetic it was. And I in particular was thinking like, man, her dad is out there somewhere. Like he's mm -hmm. read this probably. And like, how do you choose what to include and what not to include about someone that you had a hard relationship with? And I'm sure that was also really empowering you know, to be able to say some of that and speak it as truth in a book, which I think in general is a tough decision-making process you have to make when you're creating a book or writing music or an essay or whatever. It's like people enjoyed the vulnerability and the honesty, but you also are in relationship to some of these people in your real life. And how do you talk about that? The hard relationships are probably the ones you want to write about because they're hard. <laughs> you do that. So 
So I thought she did a really wonderful job of including that. You know, I assume, I assume there's like a lot more about her dad that she didn't include, but I'm really glad that she did. I also just in general enjoyed those thoughts that she included that were a little bit uglier because I think it is what makes me trust her and make me feel closer to her. And I read Brandy Carlyle's memoir, Broken Horses. And I also loved this about her memoir where she was pretty honest, in particular about the way that she spends money. She was like, I started making money and spending it. She was like, I am bad with money. Like I don't <laughs> buy a boat and a cool outfit when I get money. <laughs> and I, it was so cool because I was like, Oh, it makes me feel human that you do that. And that sometimes like I buy an outfit that maybe I shouldn't, <laughs> you know? Yes. I heard her share in an interview about she wishes she, the interviewer asked about like how she thinks about her mom, especially with her rising success. Does she think about her mom a lot? And she says something so silly is that I wish I could buy my mom a designer handbag. I have the money to do that kind of thing. And my mom would love that. And I love that she shared that because I'm sure she also thinks these very sentimental, sad things. I wish my mom could cook a meal with me. But also you think about those things too. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like that was like very important to her. To her mom was just appearance in general. There's something beautiful about accepting that about her. And even though like as a kid, she was kind of a punk about it. Yeah. I loved the line that was when they were looking at photographs and the aunt, I think, commented, oh, it's so clear that your mom loved dressing you up as a kid. That was like a really beautiful circle back to that as well of this quality of her that was like challenging for Michelle, but so genuine to her mom of just a love for fashion it seems that she was able to see the that it wasn't just this like evil intention that she was trying to make her into a barbie doll or something yeah and i think like as women there's so many complexities to that to appearance and fashion and why you do it and for who but i think that the way that michelle tackled that kind of implicitly included that of how she rejected it but also yeah now embraces it it seems like like she has the coolest outfit you know she does <laughs> and it's like oh you're descendant of your mom like with your own flavor but it's part of what makes her such an artist with a voice I think is she's willing to be bold with her choices too there's a song that she has written about apparently she saw a headline about billionaires buying up bunkers <laughs> she wrote the song about a billionaire buying a bunker and wooing a woman to live there with him. And she was looking at it from like a, this is a really bad thing to do. And this billionaire is kind of the villain in the situation. But she said, she thinks about villain characters. And I think she referred to the Sopranos. The thing that really draws them in as a powerful character is you see these parts of yourself in them. You villainize a lot of what they're doing. And then you also, you get it. You're like, that billionaire is buying a bunker because they don't feel safe in the world. And yeah. I don't feel safe in the world either. And so I feel like she really put herself out there to be seen 
potentially as a villain in some places and knew that that would be a point of human connection. Totally. Yeah. She was like, I know I'm not the only one that has. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I, yeah, I'm sure like her dad had questionable thoughts about who he wanted to survive in the family. And yeah, that's such a true observation. And also, yeah, why people are so much more willing to connect with something when you have a flaw, quote unquote. And I heard her share that she was really nervous putting this memoir out because of fear of judgment. And she talked about fearing how she'd be seen in the Asian Asian community and the Asian American community, as well as how she'd be seen as a musician, like if it would delegitimize her music. And, you know, to see all these fears she had that then in the end, the opposite turned out to be true is really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good lesson, right? Like, we're always so worried that when we take a bold step, people are going to treat us differently or or whatever. It'll downgrade us. But I feel like often it does, yeah, it does the opposite. If you're willing to take a stand, people respect that. Yeah. And now she's, like, her learns to being turned into a movie. And apparently it was even optioned for a movie before it even came out. And I'm like, how did these things work? I would love to know how this all comes together. And originally she didn't want to write the screenplay. She was like, I'm just so sick of telling this story. Like I want a break from it. But now she is writing the screenplay. And it's, I love seeing the way she's taken on all these new artistic endeavors of writing a book. This was started with writing essays. She's obviously made music, now screenwriting. And just trusting that. And she has had, I learned she did study writing and actually I think also screenwriting in college. She's maybe even had more academic training, quote unquote, with these mediums than with music. But even then, you know, she hasn't written a movie before, but you've always got to start somewhere. And I think it's cool that she's not afraid to play these different roles. Totally. It's really inspiring as well I think at least for an artist because I think it always feels like when you're an artist you have to have your thing that you're known as like you're a musician or you're a painter or you're a writer and I've found in myself and a lot of other creative people I know that just because you're good at one creative thing doesn't mean you're not good at others I really latched onto like drawing and painting as a kid and that was like came to be very naturally and I remember going through this period Saturn return time pre-Saturn return <laughs> and I was like oh if I want to be a musician like what kind of artist do I want to be like I like all these different forms of art so it's so cool to see a musician being like yes I'm good at music and I can also do these other things and I'm just a creative human which I guess is like the term artist means that it's like a multimedia creator. Sometimes I get stuck feeling like I have to pursue the same thing in order to find success in it. What's special about the artistic life is you have a little bit more choice and agency in in having disparate things happening. And I think that's harder for people who work for an employer that are asking all of their time and energy. Yeah. Or like you, you have a job and you have this podcast at the same time. Like that's such a cool thing 
to have happening simultaneously. It's taken me a while to realize that, yeah, of course, I'm not going to be just interested in one thing. I want to spend all my time doing it. And yeah. in fact, I feel, and maybe some people do, maybe some people really do love really being singularly focused, but I've realized I've switched up the jobs I'm doing many times in just the 10 years since I've been out of college and realizing I'm probably going to switch things again. And also I probably, I benefit from not doing just one thing and recognizing that, of course, I have different interests. And, you know, I noticed this thing I would do where I'd meet someone and they'd be like, oh, I'm an engineer. And then I'd find out like, and then they'd say, oh, and I also like to, I don't know, ride horses and make cupcakes. And I'd be like, oh my God, wow, can you believe it that they like all these different things? And I was like, duh, of course, everyone. They're like, what? This shouldn't be a surprise anymore. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes, I totally agree. I think we're just, we have so many more skills and interests than we're allowed in our current system. And I think my kind of life philosophy is that is really holding us back from actually finding creative solutions to some of the problems that we're facing. And if we actually want innovative solutions, we have to allow people to have time to be innovative in their own life, which means like making connections between multiple disciplines. We get so stuck in our, our rhythms and our routines and if everyone was allowed to be the fullest version of themselves, then we might be more okay with people that are different than ourselves, than people that live the same life as us. We would have more diversity of experience, and so we would embrace diversity more than we do now. I want to read this quote from page 168-169, this really beautiful little conversation between Michelle and her mom. And this is when, this is after Michelle's mom's art teacher dropped off her tea set and this beautiful note she wrote. And then Michelle found all her mom's art and is looking through it and learning this whole new side of her mom by looking at her progression as a painter and drawer. Yeah. And she says, isn't it nice how we actually enjoy talking to each other now? I said to her once on a trip home from college after the bulk of the damage done in my teenage years had been allayed. It is, she said. You know what I realized? I've just never met someone like you. I've just never met someone like you, as if I were a stranger from another town or an eccentric guest accompanying a mutual friend to a dinner party. And then she goes on talking about how strange that was to hear her mom say and also how much it showed her why her and her mom struggled so much in their relationship. And I loved the way her mom phrased this. And it made me think about how there is a lot of pressure to fully know people, like, and that's proof that you love them and they love you. And that with parents, like no one understands their parent or a kid like their parent. And you see it with partnerships. If that's your spouse, your partner, you should fully understand them and you'll always know everything about them or your best friend. And it really puts so much pressure on both sides when you have to, when that's like the proof of your love. And it's made me think about how can I try not to do that with my daughter, with my husband, with friends. And I'm wondering what you took away from that conversation Michelle and her mom had. 
Yeah, I thought that was so poignant as well. And I think that I agree. It really did make me think. Actually, I think this unconditional love that we seek from family and good friends and partners is is actually like when you're able to accept your differences and you just consent to loving each other anyway, regardless of what happens. <laughs> and and it breeds more of a curiosity, I think, for the other person than a judgment, which like we can be plenty judgmental in all of those different relationships. But I thought it was cute for her to say that, for her mom to say that and just accept that her daughter was so different and it took her a long time to be okay with that. I think it also really speaks to people who are immigrating to another country who her daughter was in two cultures and only one of them was the one that she was familiar with. And so it makes sense why this child would be so unfamiliar to her and growing up with these totally in a totally different country with different norms and culture and both of them having to reconcile like the differences that they were experiencing. Hi, I'm Kai, and I was last on the show to talk about Kishibashi, and now I'm back to talk about Crying in H Mart. I read Crying in H Mart recently, and it absolutely destroyed me in the best way possible. I cried like six times. Zoner's relationship with her mom is so touching, and the original connection to H Mart really hit home with me because I moved to NYC for college and would also be aimlessly walking around H Mart calling my Japanese mom for help. I love how the book isn't just about food, but rather Zoner uses food as a way to re represent her relationships. It was such an interesting way to tie together culture, family, and grief. I just absolutely loved it. My name is Jess and I live in upstate New York and I found out about crying in H Mart because I worked at a Barnes and Noble at the time and I was like, oh shoot, Michelle Zauner wrote a book. So I know I had to read it. I think I finished it in like a day because I was so pulled in like to how real it was and to how all of your senses are engaged when you read this book. You can smell the cooking and kind of the chatter in, in the H Mart and it was really special to, to feel that love between her and her mom and just like their shared love of food and all the different smells and how she learns to cook herself. Not to make it about me, but my mom is an immigrant too. She's Polish and my grandma has passed away um, and she was also from Poland and she would make pierogi, like that was her huge thing. It was always really special when she made something that was from her country. I think one of the things that struck me the most was when she says to leave 10% of you for yourself. I thought that was really moving and that just really indicative of what kind of woman this person was and what a force of nature she was. It's also her and Peter's love story and the, the band and even like the small things like the cover of Psychopomp. Like when, when I look at that now, I know who those two women are and it's just so much more special having been through this experience with Michelle and the way that she shared her 
story was very generous. I feel like when people sometimes write memoirs, they have a tendency to make themselves look good or maybe want to make themselves look a certain way, but she was just completely honest in this. And the, the prose is just gorgeous too. It's like, it's a, it's a delicious book. Like you have to experience it if you haven't already. So I was struck by how much she had to leave out of this book. I kept thinking when she'd be telling a certain scene, like, oh, wouldn't she like call Peter during the day? Or was she still running the way she started to? And it really made me appreciate the art of writing a memoir that you don't just write down what happened and, oh, you just had such an interesting life and you got to write a good memoir. It really is its own art form. And it made me wonder if this act of pruning if you can feel that in the songwriting process of what what stays and what goes. I was also really struck by what was left out and want to know so much more. And especially in the end, I was really seeking more about what was happening in her life. Like she got, she like summed up in a page kind of her, her musical catapult into the industry, you know? <laughs> and I know from experience, like, that is you know in relationship like time was moving way quicker on the page in those pages than in the pages about her mom and i thought that was telling because it was she wasn't writing this book really about her music career it was it was about her mom and her experience witnessing someone so close die and and also other parts of her life that were part of that you know so I think, yeah, it's such a, it's such an example of the creative process, I think, because I've learned through songwriting, through art, through graphic design, that simplicity is, is the name of the game. And it means that you have to go somewhere very dense and verbose or busy probably first before you lights it all down and definitely true with songwriting there's like a common common piece of advice to songwriters is to just simplify 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 and you find that younger songwriters always are writing these very verbose songs trying to fill in every syllable you know and then as you become better at the craft you recognize that space is valuable and you can do other things than sing in space you know you can add instruments and like you need room to breathe actually i think i read i also looked up an interview with her and she was talking about how to write this book she for 80 days told herself that she was going to write a certain amount of words every day that was like i think it was like a thousand words a day or something just word vomiting and then that was kind of what gave her the jumping off point to actually start writing book i think it's such a good example of this you know she was just putting thoughts down so that she could start somewhere you know oh i love hearing that of how a book came together it's interesting to hear you say the word breathing space because i also read about i was yeah i was going through all her lyrics and she will have songs i think on every album that are just instrumental and mm. i hardly ever see that and she 
I use, I go to Genius Lyrics and I really like their website because they have this like really nice organized way of here's what the artist has said about this song and you can just go through them all. And on those ones, you know, she had a quote about, I like to include instrumental songs on an album because they feel like breathing space in between all the lyrical songs. Yeah. And I, I would be the person who would probably tend to skip that kind of song. And now it's made me appreciate when I listen to albums like that, I should listen to them in order and hear where that space is put in and it's there for a reason. Yeah, yeah. It re is really asking you to listen to the work in the way that the artist compiled it. And she she curated that so that you could have that moment to rest. Yeah, that's really cool. I've heard that say a similar advice about writing writing novels, writing nonfiction of how can you use the simplest language possible or show, don't tell, don't over explain. And that makes me want to pay more attention to the lyrics of songs hearing you say that that's similar advice given to songwriters. Yeah, especially also with songwriters, they really emphasize repetition, which is like something if you're trying to write lyrics about a complex idea, it feels like if you're repeating things, then it feels like you're losing precious real estate that you could be having to forward your idea. In fact, repetition and that simplicity that comes with repetition helps land an idea with sound and it helps the singer come along with you and know what to expect and be able to sing along for that period maybe. And that's another way I think with songwriting that it gets the simplicity aspect gets added in. It emphasizes the point and gives you the feeling inside of your body when you are singing a song and saying the same things again and again. It definitely gets to a point of, I think with pop, it can become quite lazy, but, but like good pop kind of skirts the line between, between simplicity and not. Like Taylor Swift is probably a great example of that. I haven't really dove into her lyrics too deeply. <laughs> you could probably speak more. She has a song called Out of the Woods that I hated for the longest time because she says, are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? Over and over. And I was like, this song is just like boring and just keep saying these lyrics. And then I heard her say in an interview how saying it so many times was trying to make you feel the feeling she had in mm. A kind of on again, off again relationship, that anxiety of, is this about to end? Is this not about to end? And I was like, yeah, of course, it's genius. And, <laughs> yeah. and now I love it. I hate it so much. <laughs> I don't like the feeling. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, they're making a creative choice to, to create a feeling. Ellie, where is the best place for people to follow along with the musical journey of Olella? Yeah, so I... I'm most active on Instagram at Olella Music. And Olella is spelled O-L-L-E-L-L-A. -L -L -E and then my website is also olellamusic.com. And I've got a mailing list there. So I send out emails every once in a while with updates. So yeah, are the places for an album next year. You know what would make this podcast even better? Me saying like less. And more importantly, this show would be better if you were on it. We want every episode to include audio messages from you. To make this happen, you need to know what the episodes will be about ahead of time. And I can share that with you when you get the podcast newsletter. Sign up at donttalktomepod.com. And you know that thing they all say about please leave me a review? 
It would be really cool if you did that. So give it a thought. Hopefully a five-star thought. Thank you. They'll catch you if you're not careful As he lends out his little hand He says, I don't know why you always follow me Down where it's safe to stand I don't know why you always follow me To my sanctioned piece of land I don't know why you always follow me Adults say think they know I don't know why you always follow me Cause I know just where to go oh. Scalding bubbles, duck under bars.